Alex, you're live. Just barely. I just here's what I here's what I like about how everything played out this morning. Okay, is that I sent you a DM, no response. Although the last time we talked about this, let's be clear, we were both intoxicated at the very end of PAX just before you left the last night and then had to get up early to go to a flight. And we sort of agreed, hey, let's maybe do this on Tuesday morning. And I remember doing that, but then also this morning realized that maybe he didn't. That would be a reasonable response to have when all of this happened. So the fun part of that is that I have no recollection of that conversation whatsoever, but I knew we were doing a show and I still somehow overslept regardless. (laughs) So all of that combined. So I DM you no response. I was like, okay, whatever. Like, you know, it's it's right after PAX, Labor Day. Everyone is just exhausted. No big deal. And then I texted you no response. And then I was like, oh, okay, maybe I might have to, like, push this back or cancel it. And I was like, no big deal. Maybe he just didn't, didn't remember. So in the moment I take the step to inform the readers, the viewers, that, hey, it's going to be delayed or it might not happen. I'll, I'll let you know. You know, no big deal. That is the moment that you responded in a public fashion. Like, that is the way you got back to me was that, like, you were finally checking your Twitter and then, like, oh. Oh. Well, you posted so that, that, like, honestly, the very second I, I had just finished getting out of the shower and had ran up to my computer. Uh, and I see that, like, that's the top message on my thing. And I'm like, nope, not letting this happen. So I, yeah, that was, I, I didn't even see your DM or your text until after I saw that. Sorry. That's great. That no, that's could not have been a better way. Uh. <laughs> Wake up, Alex! Come on now. Just hit, just hit all of them at once. Yeah, I'm forgetting. I, nah, I didn't I'm put not the even, promo. I'm not going to go there. I didn't put the promo on the front page. Oh no! No one knows we're doing this except the like 500 people that are already on there. Our loyal, our loyal. Yes, the loyal audience. Loyal people viewers. Know. The loyal. The, who knows what's up? Yeah. Uh, so how we talked about this very briefly before we started, but how are you? Like, physically feeling after PAX. Fine, actually. Um, other, I mean, I think this this month of traveling finally kind of caught up with me this weekend when I got back. Because I was just a wreck when I got home. But, um, unfortunately, I didn't have, like, another terrible, like, seven-hour layover or whatever uh, delay. But uh, yesterday, I just didn't get off the couch. I just I just laid around and did nothing. Um, you know, I didn't feel sick or anything. I just felt, like, totally worn down. And so I, I slept probably a solid ten and a half hours last night. Um, wow, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't really what I was going for. I'd actually meant to set my alarm <laughs> for, like, nine, but I didn't do that because I'm an idiot. Uh, and, and so with that in mind, uh, otherwise, I feel fine. I'm actually no. quite perky this morning. I'm in good shape. I imagine in, like, two hours, I, like, my body will suddenly be like, oh, you slept way too much. You're done for today. Uh, and no, The, idiot, the idiots are you and I, because Vinny is the one that uh, he took this week off. Like, taking the week yeah. off after an event is is absolutely the way to do it. Because even though we didn't really do a whole lot, like, traditional work-wise at PAX, like, it's still exhausting in, in a whole different sort of way. Because oh, yeah. You're out late, you're talking all day and all night, and then if you're on panels, like, that's physically and mentally exhausting in its own way, and, you know, this PAX in particular was way more taxing for a lot of those, for, for those reasons that are always taxing, way more so this year than, than it ever has before. But uh, I will say, um, you know, huge uh, props to everyone, you know, that we that we met up at PAX. Uh, everyone was very considerate given uh, how awkward this year was uh, for us, given the events uh, this summer. But uh, by and large, everyone was very, very cool and very nice and very considerate. And uh, it was definitely, I think, a good thing for everyone to, to kind of be around there and around everyone. And it ended up being, you know, a ton of fun. And, and I think not the awkward thing that, that it easily could have turned into uh, when you just don't, you just don't know how things like this are going to go. Yeah, I mean, this was you know one of those packs where it was like, I mean, it's it's you know just straight up, it's our first without Ryan. You know, we kind of yep. didn't really know what we were getting into with the panel necessarily. We knew we were going to have some people up, and that was uh, kind of about it, really. Uh, I mean, you had at least a few like interview appointments and things that you had set up, but I think most of us were just kind of wandering around aimlessly, like you know. I think most of us were kind of walking around like we were, you know, running around through the rubble after a bomb had gone off. Like, we kind of didn't really know what we were doing. We weren't really sure what was going on around us. We were just kind of there, you know, sort of hoping that someone would catch our attention and that would, you know, help us keep it together. But, you know, all things considered, 
between just people being super cool, you know, the show being, you know, always a pretty well-oiled machine, and there being actually a lot of really, you know, cool games, fun stuff to play and check out there, I, I would say this is probably one of the better packs I've been to in, in, in a good long while. Yeah, yeah, and, and it always is, uh, and it's, it is definitely, the you know, given that there's no giant bomb con, uh, yeah. at least not yet, uh, that... You know, having a chance to to see the the people that you know sort of make this all possible for for us to to sit here and jabber like idiots uh, yeah. is is always a is a huge pleasure. Um, but there was actually a there's a fair bit of news that happened that went up on other websites. Um, news uh, websites happened perhaps. at PAX. Yeah, news websites. You know, sites that take that part of their job seriously. Um, the, I, the biggest one probably that came out uh, and that actually we covered in a capacity that at least I. I interviewed KG and Afune, mm-hmm. um, was that uh, not too long before our panel on, on Saturday afternoon, uh, KG and Afune was the uh, creator of, of Mega Man and was the head of Capcom R&D, sort of the face of Capcom, and a very friendly, fun face. There was very few people who met uh, Inafune that, that didn't like him. Uh, and But he had pretty much a, you know, kind of a pretty public falling out with Capcom. He's been very critical of Capcom and the Japanese video game ministry, uh, in the last couple of years as he's gone off to start his own uh, studio called Comcept uh, as part of more of a larger trend of Japanese developers kind of splitting off on their own, despite culturally, you know, usually you started a company and that's where you are your whole life. And sort of the culmination of all of what he has been doing in the last couple of years has kind of felt like it's been leading up to this moment where he launched a Kickstarter for is it Mighty Number no- 9? Mighty Number no. 9, nine. Which more or less might as well be called the next Mega Man. Uh, it seems to be sort of this passing of the torch, even if it's not uh, the character Mega Man, it is the style of Mega Man, it is the structure of Mega Man of you know going after a set number of bosses in any order, acquiring their powers. Uh, but it does appear that it's going to be uh, sort of an evolution of that concept. All that aside, uh, it is a Kickstarter project. And as of... Let's, I'm going to try and pull it up now because they hit their goal yesterday. Yes, they did. Um, and they, Which I think they hit it by a decent margin already. So, nine hundred nine hundred thousand, and yeah, with twenty eight days to go, and it's only been launched uh, a couple of days. They are at one point two six million, uh, which means they are they are they are definitely on track to hit. I would suspe- <laughs> suspect three to f- three to five. I don't probably. know. Yeah. So, so I mean, they're definitely going to make at least a couple million on that game, and and good for them. I mean, yes, like you said, it might as well have just been called Nega Man. You know, I mean, it, it's it seems like it is pretty much the same concept. But think about all the sad Mega Man fans who have just been super sad over the last couple of years because of the treatment of that franchise and that character. Capcom's just sort of utter disinterest in it. And I kind of get why Capcom is disinterested in it. They haven't had a whole lot to do with it creatively. You know, it, it just continually putting out the same stuff again and again maybe isn't working for them anymore. I don't know. I don't know what the hell Capcom's doing these days. Well, the, the, I, I'll, I'm going to get uh, my interview with Infune up yeah. uh, sometime this week. You know, one of the things that, that we talked about and, is that, you know, was, was a common question in other interviews was... So I saw, I saw elsewhere people asked uh, the legal question of, like, whether you are at all worried that Capcom might take any sort of legal action. And, you know, Infune's response to that was that they, they've taken the steps to believe they are covered uh, and that he kind of went a little bit further to that to say, look, I made this, you know, I created this, you know, it would be in their best interest to sort of kind of leave it alone. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the other question, uh, the, or the question that I asked him was um, – you know, at some point, Capcom's going to make a Mega Man game or will return to that franchise in some capacity. Now, there's just too much money to be made there, even if Inafune isn't there. Right. Uh, and, and how he would feel about that if his former employer went back to his baby and started messing around with that. And his, his response was pretty diplomatic in saying that, you know, Mega Man's a big franchise and they would be crazy not to give the fans something that would excite them and give them another Mega Man game. Uh, and he seemed at least legitimately interested whether you know that's he wants to see them crash and fail or if he uh would be legitimately interested in seeing some new blood on Mega Man but uh I would love to see Capcom maybe assign some of its younger designers the opportunity to to do something with that franchise and in this case we get the best of both worlds which is Inafune going off and making his own spiritual successor and trying something new and then potentially you know Capcom going going to the to the drawing board and trying to give that a shot 
I also wouldn't be surprised if they just don't even touch it because it seems like it's not a winning proposition for Capcom. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think that they could very easily, if they find the right project leader for that game, they could very easily turn that into a Street Fighter Four situation where it's a franchise you don't expect anything from, and then suddenly here's this, you know, kind of great revival of it. Um, but they have to have the right talent for it, and I, I, I don't know enough about what Capcom's, you know, development situation looks like to know if they have that or not. Uh, the thing I thought was kind of funny was it, it, it initially when I when I looked at the 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 Kickstarter page, I was kind of like, oh Jesus, he's just making his own damn Mega Man game. I was kind of reminded uh, a little bit of just some of the, the it, this is a weird thing, but some of the Japanese wrestling games that come out over the years, because like a lot of times those games are totally license free. They will create, they will use the likenesses of real character, like real people and, you know, copyrighted materials from all over the places. They will just change the name. And apparently the thing with Japanese copyright laws, you can just do that as you can use like, you oh. know, very like Japanese copyright law is a very different thing. And as long as you are changing names, and it's like the name is distinctive enough that no one will, you know, specifically confuse those. You can basically use the likenesses and the visuals and a lot of the same kind of like trade dress stuff that other uh, franchises and, you know, properties can, uh, I guess, without any real legal hassle, at least in Japan. I don't think that it's, works it's, internationally, but yeah. The, the, the Fire Pro Wrestling games, aren't yes. they like famous for allowing you to basically recreate everything like to the nth degree it's yeah. not like within spitting distance it's like you, we are going to give you all the material to make the ultimate warrior yeah don't worry about it but actually and a lot of the wrestlers that were already in the game when they sold it were based on real people that looked almost identical to those real people uh, they just had different names so interesting i wonder if you know he was just kind of going off a similar kind of because i've heard i've seen some of the the character art and some of that stuff looks kind of a lot like mega man like a lot like mega man um and that's not a bad thing by any stretch i'm just wondering if he's kind of using some of that same sort of trademark law stuff to kind of get around that but whatever good i'm in total support. yeah i mean yeah it look it look you know i i feel like this is sort of like putting the real test to inafune is uh there's, there are no shortage of designers who go back to the well and it doesn't work out for them. Right. And this is about as clear of going back to the well as as you can. And going back to the well doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just that I think we have become rightly cynical in, 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 in these situations uh, for how many times this does happen in video games. But – you know, you look at some of that concept art, and like that that does look fucking awesome. And like I you know, I'm a Mega Man two is, you know, like right up there with Deus Ex as like my favorite game of all time. So like the idea of getting like a, a really nice next gen one of these with like high res visuals, as much as I liked the nostalgic take of of the last couple that Capcom worked on, those were those were neat sort of on their own. Yeah. I mean like this this is this is like the real deal and I actually you know, one of the things that I've I respect them for is they've been asked a bunch about, you know, there for 2.5 million they will make 360 ps3 and wii u versions and nowhere on here does it mention anything about you know a ps4 and xbox one version and they were asked about that at uh at pax and you know the the response from inafune was well we don't have those machines yet we don't want to promise a stretch goal that we don't know how much it would cost to actually produce those and yeah that they would evaluate those platforms you know this game you know and and they're not promising this game until 2015 Right, like so. Right. Most other times, if you saw a game of this scale on Kickstarter, like this is a game I would expect that they try and crank out in a year and, and promise sometime in 2014. And I, I think it's great that they're, you know, maybe this is as a result of people having worked on a number of Mega Man games or people having worked on the, these sorts of uh, projects in the past. But being able to at least give people like a proper estimate, right? I mean, that like gets a little bit uh, off-putting at first. You're like, well, 2015 is pretty far away, but I'd rather that be the upfront uh, estimation rather than, you know, having three or four delays as they as they figure it out and go along. I 100% agree. Uh, moving on to the next thing. Uh, I don't think you and I got a chance to talk about this last week because I think it happened, like, either the day after our last show or what have you. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the Nintendo news that came around uh, sure. last week. Uh, so there was there were a few different things. Uh, first and foremost, the Wii U is now uh, fifty dollars cheaper, uh, or at least it will be as of September twentieth. Uh, it will now be a two ninety nine system for the uh, for the deluxe model. I, they didn't say anything about the other models. So I don't even know if they're still selling that one. Uh, in addition to that, they announced a Wind Waker bundle uh, with some customized stuff and a couple of download codes that get you uh, an art book as well as. A copy of Wind Waker, I think, like a solid two weeks before it comes out at uh, at retail. 
And then in addition to that, there's the 2DS, which exists. Uh, Patrick, my question to you is this. Ranking these mm-hmm. news pieces on a scale of I'm very excited or to I I don't know I don't understand this and I don't care. Uh, what do you where, where do you where do you rank these three pieces of news? What's most interesting to you and what is the least interesting part of that bunch? Well, so okay, so here here's what I think is the most interesting part of that bunch is uh, the, the Wind Waker HC is going to launch two weeks early digitally because I yeah. think that's really smart. I think that is properly leveraging the dynamic nature of a digital storefront to provide incentives to participate in, in that marketplace. This is, you know, let's caveats up front. Mm-hmm. This is putting aside all sorts of huge grievances that I do have with the eShop. The account system is borked. The fact that it's not linked together, like all that stuff, you know, put that aside. Like that, this is really smart. And this is a good way of, you know, at least from Nintendo's perspective, pushing people you know, maybe over the brink a little early to go pick one up because there's a price cut, and I think it's smart all around, and I, I would like to see some more of that uh, going forward. Um, the price cuts, I, you know, it's hard to say for me. That's, you know, I already own one. I bought one at launch. That's really neither here nor there for me. Um, it'll be, I'll be curious to see how that pans out. I think the fact that they're not pairing a price cut with an ambassador program, and right. I believe it was Steven Totillo actually had a chance to talk with uh, Reggie Fizeme about uh, the 2DS and all these other moves and specifically asked about uh, an ambassador program and said that, oh, this is a this is a very different situation and we don't plan to be you know offering something like that. And I do think it is different in that the, the price cut is coming later than I believe it came in the 3DS's timeline. I don't I don't have the, the, the time in front of me, but at least it feels later. It doesn't feel as drastic and as crazy as that as it did with the with the 3DS. Well the 3DS but, was a really quick price cut to be fair. I mean as I want to say I want to say it was go. a lot faster, yeah. Yeah. And and that's part of the why the ambassador program existed, but I still think it has been completely crazy that they have not tried to do something, maybe not on the scale of the ambassador program, but in that same vein. I mean we've seen what kind of goodwill that sony has built up with playstation plus and the the free games on that right they're not free you're paying for them and they're locked up if you cancel playstation plus but they have this enormous library of games that people have bought a million times before that they could be using to incentivize people to purchase this machine to use the machine they do own more often and i don't know if it's politics or or financial reasons that they're not engaging more with it but that that struck me as very disappointing, uh, and I don't think their lineup over the next couple of months justifies not going the extra mile uh, and and trying to do something a little bit more to incentivize people to be to be playing with the Wii U. Um, I think Chris Kohler uh, on Wire wrote something a, a couple months back uh, before we sort of had a better sense of like what was coming for the Wii U, uh, where he and not that it's really improved that much, but. He talked about how the like the Wii U really needs to just be a wonderland for Nintendo fans. It needs to be a system that is just you know replete with all those old ass Nintendo games that you love. The whole piecemeal thing just doesn't work anymore. You know, like putting out two games a week and then expecting people just to keep you know wrapped attention from week to week, waiting for you know another version of Balloon Fight or whatever, is just not going to cut it. And I think, like you said, you know, the, the the PlayStation Plus model, where it's like it's subscription based, you know, you you pay, you know, I don't know, whatever, uh, however many bucks a month or a year, and you just get access. I think it's Fifty to the- bucks a year, I think. 50 yeah. bucks. I I just <laughs> they they gave out codes uh, to everyone that went to their press conference two years ago, and then that expired like four weeks before their next one. They didn't give out more codes, and I would have right. happily paid at that point. But I was reminded how much of it cost because suddenly I got a you know. Hey, we just charged your car fifty bucks, and I was like, "Oh, wait, really? Oh, that's right. That's that thing I paid for or didn't pay for, and yeah. now I'm paying for." But I mean, a system like that on the Nintendo Wii U, where you could just subscribe for you know a similar price for, per year and just get access to some crazy array of Nintendo games, would be super rad. Um, it's too smart. It's too smart for that. They would make too much money because I now have uh, a total policy with Nintendo machines going forward that I. Don't have problem buying virtual console games that were not available any other way or weren't available on a previous platform. Uh, so like Earthbound, you know, no problem getting that. That's a unique situation, and I I want to support that. I want Nintendo to know that there is demand for this game. Um, in addition to being able to have a chance to play it on on, on a platform, but the idea that I'm going to buy like Super Mario Three again right. or Link to the Past, like I. 
I'm not going to support that with my money because I think it's absurd that it just gets trotted out again and again. And, and I realize there uh, are some technical reasons, like the way the emulation occurs on the Wii U is different than how it occurs on the 3DS. That sort of is, is irrelevant to me because if they had, you know, accounts that talk to each other, and this is going to be when what's going to be really interesting is eventually they are going to have accounts that talk to each other. I actually believe them based on their most recent uh, a quote from, from some Nintendo of America representative that says that they're just not technically in a position to do it yet. I sort of believe them on that front. I'm not cynical enough to believe that they're pushing that back just because it would force them into a weird position. I, th- I think they maybe just are not, are not competent enough to pull that off yet. But when they are and when that does exist, what they do with some of these games you can buy in both platforms, whether they try and find any way to integrate the two, is going to be really interesting because it rubs up against their business model in, in a pretty fascinating fashion. And I've always said that Nintendo is not a cynical company and that usually errs on the side of not exploiting you. But this is going to be a situation where, like, my faith in them and that they will do the right thing there will 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 pretty much be tested. And I'm and I'm curious to see what they end up doing. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, I don't necessarily get the impression that a lot of people at Nintendo actually talk to each other, so it doesn't surprise me that they can't make their, you know, systems and devices talk to each other <laughs> either. So, uh, the one thing, I, last thing I will say on this, just my own sort of ranking of the news, I'm with you. I think the digital Wind Waker thing is by far the most interesting out of all of this. I like the idea that Nintendo might start pushing some of these games digitally ahead of retail release. Um, it seems like they kind of tested that a little bit with the, the Luigi DLC to see if people would, you know, kind of go for the digital model on that or, you know, if they would revert or rely on the, the, the retail copy of that to get it. Um, far as I know, the digital numbers on that, you know, not that Nintendo releases any of that stuff, but, like, a lot of people bought that DLC when it was out digitally first. So I imagine they're probably expecting the same thing with Wind Waker. Um, as far as the uh, the other stuff goes... I, you know, I think the Wii U price drop is totally sensible move. The the 2DS thing is the thing that's the least interesting to me, but it's also the thing least targeted at me. Because it's for kids. It's and for I, kids. I, I, it's I, for fu- kids. I fully believe that. And I, I have talked to, uh, while we were at PAX and some other folks, uh, some sources of mine, of how big of an issue the, the 3D stuff is. And yeah. it's, it is severely understated in sort of the sort of public discourse uh, how much of a hindrance the 3D has actually been. Uh, due to, to the health warning that has to be mentioned uh, there, uh, that actually more parents than you would think take really seriously, even though that's just meant to be sort of a general, you know, don't let your kid look at 3D all day. It right. could potentially have some adverse reactions as it has had to a small minority of the population. But when they do uh, focus tests and other things for 3DS games, that 3D is off. Yeah. So 3D has become so far out of the equation that I'm not sure people even think of the 3D as what it was when it was originally shown as, you know, Avatar and this other, you know, it, it's gotten so far away from what it was originally pitched as that, and I don't think the 2DS is going to have the same branding problem that the Wii and the Wii U has because basically, a, you know, a retailer or anyone that is tries to be remotely informed will just realize it's a, a cheaper version of the 3DS that plays all of those games as opposed to, you know, the Wii U, which is a more expensive, more complicated doesn't you know doesn't play games in the same way unless you've kept those other remotes like it's it's just it's i don't think it's going to be as big an issue as people are making it out to be i agree with you a hundred percent so all right uh another interesting bit that came out uh during pax was that uh people were pretty well they had mixed reactions when gearbox uh, announced that they had acquired the rights to the homeworld ip uh which mm-hmm. i know are you know very cherished very beloved uh, RTS games that I, I've, I've never, unfortunately, never had a chance to play. But I was excited at the, you know the idea that that maybe someone might be doing some some updates to those to those classic games. But I know that people were pretty skeptical that Gearbox was going to acquire them. They were happy they were going to make these HD versions of Homeworld One and Two, but they also left open the possibility they were going to work on more Homeworld games. And there is basically nothing about Gearbox that suggests they are equipped to be an RTS developer. Uh, and so hearing this weekend that they have actually uh, essentially are working with acquired, I don't know exactly how it would break down uh, business-wise, but there was a people that worked on the original Homeworld games were making a spiritual successor. And instead of just letting that go off and be a spiritual successor, Gearbox has now signed a deal to work with them, and it's called Homeworld, or, uh, yeah, Homeworld Shipbreakers. and will actually be like part of the canonical universe and part of what Gearbox is doing. And that just seems 
you know, as much as I give Gearbox shit sometimes for like a lot of the Duke Nukem uh, stuff that they they've worked on, uh, this is just a classy as hell move. Yeah, I don't. You know, the, I appreciate you bringing this up. This news because me and Homeworld, I I know like like that much about Homeworld, so unfortunately, I don't have like a whole lot uh, going on there. But I do agree that is a pretty classy move, and I, I I had exactly the same reservations you did in terms of like that studio taking over anything regarding that franchise. Because again, you just don't think about Gearbox as an RTS developer, uh, or you know, especially something as kind of like slow and kind of methodical and and and. All I remember about Homeworld uh, was that uh, Jason Ocampo, uh, a former GameSpot PC editor, was super, super into that. And I remember watching, and I think Bob Kalaiko also, and I watched them try playing that stuff before and just thinking, this is really pretty. I have no idea what's going on here. I have no idea what this game is about. It seemed like the kind of sort of complex but super interesting space, you know, RTS type game that I, I can, I, I understand why it has the rabid fan base it does. And then you look at a studio like Gearbox, who, I mean, other than Borderlands, let's be honest, they've been super mercenary the last, like, five years. There's been no, like, real reason to get, um, there, there was nothing there that would suggest that, you know, Homeworld was something they were going to handle really, really well. I still think that there's, you know, genuine reason for trepidation when it comes to some of this stuff, but it does seem like, at the very least, they do hold some reverence for the franchise. They do seem like they want something good to come out of this. And I, uh, you know, I totally approve of it. I just, I just want to remind everyone, they also said they had a ton of reverence for Aliens. They had a ton of reverence for Duke Nukem. And granted, Duke Nukem was its own unf unfixable mess to begin with. But sure. let's, let's not forget about the many years they said about how, how much they loved Aliens before Aliens Colonial Marines came out. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Yeah. I yep. don't want to be cynical about yep. it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yep. 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 No, I'm with you. Um, well, what I'm going to at least mention now as we go through, you know, there's the, the last bits of news that there is that if people want to shoot uh, questions over, just at me in the chat, at yeah. Patrick Klepek. And because I've had a couple people mention this to me, if you seem to be watching this on YouTube because we do this through uh, Google+, Plus, uh, we don't really monitor that chat. So if you wanted to ask questions, you uh, you got to be in Giant Bomb's chat. So giantbomb.com slash chat. Um, because uh, that's just that's the only one we're paying attention to while we do this show. So cool. Just a heads up. Um, uh, before we get what do you got on your end? Before we get into the tiny headlines, I did want to talk a little bit about PAX um, okay. since we were there and uh, stuff happened there. That's true. Uh, there were a lot of games there. It was a it was a good show, like really good lineup. Uh, I'm kind of curious what some of the stuff you played that stood out most to you was. Well, let's see. So people will get a, a better sense of that when the panel goes up later this week, right. where which. Uh, Drew has Drew shot, and then he'll edit it. Um, Call this the quick that, version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just because people have been asking too. Yeah. Uh, it'll it'll go up sometime this week. Um, putting together that panel is not as simple as just downloading the footage and uploading it uh, to to our website because it's shot on two different cameras and he's got to balance the audio. So my guess is it will happen sometime this week. Uh, sure. But I would err on the side of sometime later this week. Um, but uh, Galaxy was certainly one of the more impressive games uh, that I played. I got to play it before the show and then just got to be excited for those guys that the, the reception seemed to be so positive. Uh, Galaxy is the new game from 17-Bit. Uh, they they're the guys that worked on Skulls of the Shogun for nearly five years, uh, only to have that come out as the same week as Fire Emblem and then have uh, almost, almost nobody care about it despite it being a pretty solid and very funny strategy game. Uh, but Galaxy is... Their new project, they've been working on it for about a year. Uh, it's a, I guess, top-down shooter. It at least gives you a sense of the perspective, but it, it's kind of disingenuous to what is happening in the game as a whole. Uh, you're, are, it's got a very Robotech, like, TV show yeah, classic look and vibe and sense of humor. Where Even, like, in the loading screens, it's got, like, this like the, the the red main character like in the ship like going through like a warp and then it also says like we will be right back uh, as it gets prepared to, to launch you into the game and it's just a lot of really cute touches uh, like that and you just have this enormous amount of oh my dog is barking <laughs> Some hey, dog Pixel. Moment. I don't even know where my dog's barking at who's out there hey you we're trying to do a morning show alright keep it down I thought we were a professional organization. No, nope, absolutely not. Clearly Whatever. Not. The chat, the chat's gonna love that my dog just freaked out. That's great. Um, and well, you were talking about that Galaxy. Just goes to, yeah. That just goes to show how excited people are for Galaxy. Is that when they hear it, 
they just want to express all of their excitement. Um, and it, so you get dropped into these huge maps, and you have kind of some objectives that you can go after, like they were showing in the PAX demo. They had uh, like three crystals to collect. But what was really fun was the combat, and the combat is uh, extremely like... I'm, I'm watching the chat catch up to what just happened yeah, and what yeah. <laughs> super distracting. Hey, that dog away. is not a wolf, okay? That is a dog. It's different. <laughs> my it's dog the is the op- my dog is the opposite of a wolf. Um although she thinks in her head that she is. Right. And uh, so it's very it's very halo-like in what it's uh, set up as uh, in the sense that uh, you have competing factions uh, with different uh, AI routines and those AI routines interact with each other uh, in some pretty interesting ways. And it can be as simple as you just go in there and you're fighting amongst them and they're kind of shooting at each other. Or the most interesting scenarios I saw was, uh, so you have this bug faction and the bugs are indiscriminate. So they will attack you, they'll attack the other factions, they don't care, they just want to kill whatever's in their path. And if you are smart enough, you can drag the bugs over to the other enemies or you can drag the enemies over to the bugs or you can just sort of like get in the mix in a, mat- in a battle that's already happening and you can participate as much or as little as you want uh, and use those those aspects to your advantage. And everything I heard from 17-Bit was that is just the tip of the iceberg of what they want to happen with the combat in the final game. There are going to be multiple factions. There's going to be all sorts of environmental uh, effects and, and enemies and unique scenarios in the, in the different missions that allow you to pretty much be doing that on a moment-to-moment basis all the time. And that's what makes that game so much more than a top-down shooter, which is why it's a, it's kind of difficult to describe that game because I feel like it, it sort of falls short in uh, letting you know everything that is there. Yeah, there's a lot going on with that game. I didn't get a chance to get my hands on it, unfortunately, but I watched uh, Brad and, and and I think either Vinny or Drew play a whole bunch of it. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super, super on board with what those guys are doing. Uh, as far as my own stuff goes, just a quick rundown. Uh, as far as the big, you know, AAA games go, that Titanfall demo impressed the hell out of me. I had not gotten my hands yeah. on it before. That was that was really fun, exciting stuff. You know, it was kind of what I was hoping for as far as, like, the weird parkour stuff and the, the balancing between the, uh, the Titans and the people goes. Like, that stuff all seemed really, really well done, and I was pretty impressed with it. Uh, smaller game wise, uh, I was, you know, Galaxy was really cool. Audio Surf was two was really cool. There were a couple of other things in the Indie Mega Booth I would like to have played more, but man, that thing was thick with motherfucking people. Whole goddamn it was, time, and that and that could could not have made me happier uh, because, you know, at a show like that, uh, to have that much foot traffic for games that don't, yeah, you know, have a marketing budget or or largely do not have PR people to help them coordinate. You know, to meet people like us, um, just to have have that and have that be, you know, what constantly seemed like one of the busiest parts of that show, was just so so freaking cool to see. I was I was just so happy for for that for that community. Totally. Um, the one I will say that I, I think I was most intrigued by was uh, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Uh, right. Which is one of the yeah, PAX yeah, Ten games. Uh, it's a co-op game, space game kind of thing. Uh, looked super super hectic and uh yeah i that 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 seemed really really interesting to me that's that's the kind of like co-op game i think me and my girlfriend could totally get into because it would just be us yelling at each other a whole lot as we try to maintain the ship's uh continued existence seemed really fun the one i didn't get to play that i really wanted to uh and it seemed like either the build was broken or they were doing some sort of film thing every time i walked over was jazz punk I heard nothing but good things about jazz punk and i wanted to play jazz punk but i did not get the chance did you get a chance to play that I, I briefly watched by it, uh, but it, there was uh, there was kind of a line to check it out. Uh, that was uh, constantly seemed like perhaps Vinny's game of the show. Uh, it's part of a Adult Swim's lineup. I'm, I'm not. I guess we could look. I'm not clear if it was a game that is out right now. Jazz Punk game. I'm looking right now. If I click on Jazz Punk, where is this logo going to take me? Uh, coming soon. Okay, so not out yet. Uh, but uh, if you. Go to necrophonegames.com. Uh, there's there's a trailer. I don't know. Maybe I'll pull that down and put it up on the site. Given that that's one of the games that Vinny could not stop talking about, uh, but it was uh, it, it seemed it seemed very funny and strange. In 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 uh, I don't even know how you would describe like what you would compare it to. Yeah, I, I, I everything I heard about it made it just sound completely bonkers. Uh, but like perhaps in the best way possible. So I am you know I'm super curious if. Uh about what it's what it's all about but I, I basically all i heard was a bunch of weird disparate 
you know things happening that didn't like I something about throwing popcorn at people and then smoking a cigar in a movie theater and I didn't really understand what anything had to do with anything else but it all sounded kind of weird but in a way that I could totally get behind so I want to yeah. play that yeah yeah I'm 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 definitely with you there there were, you, there were plenty of games there that I immediately talked to the developers and were like hey we're gonna talk after packs yeah. uh, because doing interviews and things like that uh, in the uh, in that area was uh, not possible. No, uh, at least not. at least to do stuff on video. So we have an idea for something we want to do that is uh, the equivalent of. Um, so the weird thing is about the uh, sort of the PAX roundup, or I guess like the indie roundups that that Ryan used to do at PAX, uh, is that uh, the PAX ten has increasingly become games that are already out and games we've already covered. So. Right. Even when we were thinking about how to handle it this year, we still wanted to to do that because it was always a very popular feature. Um, and but the PAX 10 didn't make a lot of sense this year. And then the Mega Booth was just so many games, so you can't do all of those uh, the way you could do the PAX 10. And then it was so packed that the way we used to even film it just did not seem uh, possible. Uh, but we did. We have kind of come up with an idea uh, that, that how we might handle that. Um, so I guess stay tuned for that and, and know that we have not ignored um, what was one of the more popular video features that, that came out of PAX. For sure. Um, let's see. Small headline. Unless you've got anything else big. Steam has green-lighted over 100 games, including... I saw that. Shadows of the Eternals? How do you feel about well, that? Well, it probably had enough popular support to at least be given the ability to show up on that service if in, if it does get made. I don't... Nothing about green light has anything to do with right, your right. ability to get it made. Uh, then maybe that's a factor, but I don't necessarily blame Valve for saying if this is a game that actually got developed, would there be interest? Like, yeah, there would be, there would be interest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good for them. That's yeah. I think that's they use that to celebrate what their first year anniversary of yeah. green light. That seems like a good way to do that. I think they also uh, dropped see. prices on a bunch of other green light games that were already out. So, oh, cool. Uh, see, Broken Age, getting uh, Jack Black and Jennifer Hale as voice actors. Good to know that uh, Tim Schafer has maintained that Jack Black friendship over the years. Uh, when I was in, I, I, quick, quick aside story. Uh, when uh-huh. I was working for Harmonix, I was doing an EA event in the UK uh, right around the time he was uh, doing heavy press tours for Brutal Legend. Uh, so he and I and a bunch of other like developers ended up hanging out and talking about stuff. And apparently, at the end of that trip, uh, him, Tim and his wife were gonna go spend like two weeks in France with Jack Black and his wife, just hang out. Just they were just gonna go party together in France, which I thought was pretty great. That's that's pretty good. Those guys can just go hang out now. Uh, let's see. Uve uh, Bowl. Got... Uve Bowl is back in the news. Uh, I don't. I don't know Kickstarter. what you're talking about. No idea. No idea what you're talking about. It's no, he's not. Yeah, no, he's yeah, not. he is. Didn't you? Uh, didn't you email him, Patrick? I don't know. I, I did not do an interview live on the site impromptu with Uva Bowl. Uh, yeah. Or I might have. Uh, I wasn't recording it, so I need to go and see if I can pull down that video and see if that audio is workable. But I also kind of like the idea that maybe it just happened and we just move on with our lives. It's like a weird fever and, dream moment that you can't. And quite... if you were, and if you were there, then you got to see it and. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't know how I feel. There are some unique situ- unique details about how that interview was conducted that I mm-hmm. don't know if I necessarily want archived on the site. So sure. I'll have to think about it. But, yeah, that did happen, and he's raising money, and he's not going to hit his goal. So Probably not. <laughs> and he's going to blame everyone when that happens. Yeah, yeah, blame the Hollywood establishment and Obama's foreign policy. There's a whole lot of things that that man would be prepared to blame. Totally. Uh, let's see. Uh, PS4 to support voice commands, recognition with camera. Uh, let's see. This is a story I saw or on Joystick. The PlayStation 4 will support navigational voice commands and facial recognition to the PlayStation camera, uh, which was then confirmed uh, by Polygon, uh, checking in with a spokesperson, and said there will be details shared in the lead-up to the launch of PlayStation 4. Uh, I guess that's interesting. You know, yeah. th- they have a device that can... You know, who knows how well it will work? Who knows how well the new Connect works until we have a chance to really sit down with the the final software? But it wouldn't surprise me that you know they're looking at trying to match them, them being Microsoft, you know, as close to one to one as possible, even if they're not bundling that camera. 
you know, if that's not a huge software engineering effort for them, if you can tick that box, you know, why, why wouldn't you? So, you know, I guess, I guess it's interesting, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't use that voice stuff too much on my 360 and I think it's, it could be interesting, but I'm not convinced I'm necessarily going to use it how do you feel all the about time the, on my uh, Xbox One. How do you feel about the uh, the various regions being cut down as far as voice chat and voice commands go on, uh, not voice chat, voice commands on the Xbox One? It's now only uh, the U.S., Canada, U.K., France, and Germany at launch. Because apparently I mean, Aust- that's... Australian English is too hard for, that, for the system to understand at this point, so they can't let that happen yet. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if this is launch rush stuff, you know, what's worse for them? Uh, cutting it out and dealing with the bad press that comes from cutting it out? or endless YouTube videos and press requests asking why it can't differentiate an Australian accent and can't do anything. Uh, so I think they're just, at this point, taking the small bad press to avoid the bigger bad press for what's going to be one of their big features, you know, differentiators at launch, whether you agree with it's a good differentiator that is one of their their key ones uh, when, when these machines launch in November. So I think they're just making sure that what is going to be out there works, and they know it works, and they can be confident it works, at least to the ability that they they want it to. So I think it's disappointing. I think it is indicative of how fragile a lot of this stuff is in, in the run-up to, to, to launch. But, uh, you know, it, I have to imagine they just did sort of a worst-case scenario uh, estimation and decided that they'd rather rather just take the hit up front. So Yeah, fair uh, enough. Yeah. Well, shall we get into the uh, the question stuff? Unless you got yeah. any other headlines? Yeah, let's see. Let's see what we got in questions. Uh, Humanity asks, did you get your machine for pigs codes yet? Yes, I did get codes for Did you have amnesia. the balls to download it before? Oh, I'm not, I am not going to explain a panel joke <laughs> right now, especially one that comes to. at my expense. Uh, you can watch the panel to find out what that means. Um, but... Yeah, I have codes for Amnesia. I mean, Machine for Pigs comes out next week. Uh, still figuring out exactly, you know, how coverage of that will go. Outlast uh, comes out today or tomorrow. I'm not sure. That's another horror game. Uh, it was one of the ones that got a lot of attention at E3 uh, on the PS4. Uh, but the PC version uh, comes out this week. And uh, I will for sure be taking a look at that this week. And Good. there will be a Spookin' with Scoops later this week as Good. well. But if there is a... Uh, Quick look, whether that comes from me or the guys in San Francisco, that will be separate from uh, Spookin' with Scoops, so you don't need to be a premium member to to at least see what that game is. Um, Rory and I want to have you on the uh, the movie podcast next month once all the horror movies start coming out, so we can start talking about. Is some there that stuff. much coming up in October? There's I a couple. Like of, I mean, Insidious will have already been out for a little while, but there's another Paranormal Activity. There's, I think, no, there isn't. one or two other. There isn't. I thought there was this nope. year. Nope. They delayed. Really? Uh, they delayed uh, Paranormal Activity five. Is that are we up to five? Yes, it would be five. Five uh, until next October. Really? Uh, and the spinoff that is supposed to be focused on the Hispanic audience, which uh, these found footage ghost films. This is just now. This is getting into demographic territory. Uh, the, these sorts of ghost stories tend to do very, very well uh, in Hispanic communities and. Uh, Hispanic parts of the world. Uh, I guess uh, the little I'd read was like just b- based on their own uh, cultures. These just tend to be very popular. Um, so they were doing a spinoff that's related uh, with more of those histories. That one will be coming out next spring. I figure what the name has. It's called a Paranormal Activity something something something. Uh, but yeah, there is there is no Paranormal Activity this October. Like October's terrifying. pretty light, given that The Conjuring came out this summer. Insidious Chapter Two comes out uh, this month. Uh, well, you know September. what? Then we can have you come on and talk about like Netflix stuff, whatever it is you're okay, watching on there. Okay, sure. Because Rory and yeah, I just want I, someone to talk about horror movies with us, because it, it it can't just be us. No, I'm I, I would I would be happy. I'd be happy to do that. Excellent. And I, I do have some plans to uh, do uh, some more expansive uh, horror stuff uh, throughout October. Uh, cool. I'm still just I'm figuring out what that is, um, but uh, look forward to that. I suppose. Terrific. Uh, ba uh, it's one of the rumor headlines going around this morning, and I, I feel okay addressing rumor stuff on this show because we do it a couple times a week. Uh, is there's a some reports of perhaps Sony announcing a VR headset at TGS mm. uh, and doing something 
similar to the Oculus Rift. Uh, there's also, I guess, some rumblings that they've been looking to do a partnership with Oculus. Uh, I think that... I think the idea of a partnership with a hardware manufacturer is a really interesting idea. I think, from what I know technically about the way Oculus works, is that because of the two eyes, it has to render it twice. Right. So that is more difficult on a console, where you're then looking at having to make a game 60 frames a second, and so that you can get two 30 frames per second. I may be butchering that, but I know that it's more of a technical feat on the PC uh, and it would be an interesting challenge on the consoles. But I would love to see the console guys get into this. I would like to see this go on beyond the PC, so whether that happens through uh, the Oculus or whether that happens through Sony doing their own thing, I, that all sounds rad to me. I don't know I, about you. I think that it would be a strange move for for Sony to do it on their own. I don't. I think with all the hardware stuff that they're already working on right now, it seems like it would be kind of an ill-conceived move for them to also add you know, their own VR headset on top of that. Um, if they were in fact to partner up with the Oculus people, that would make a ton of sense because they have so much goodwill already engendered from the gaming audience at this point. You know, people are kind of very, very excited about the, uh, the, the retail model of that, whenever the hell that's going to come out, uh, getting on board with those guys and getting support for that system, uh, early on would be a huge boon for them doing their own thing. I'm not saying I don't trust Sony to make decent hardware because they, they've made plenty of decent hardware over the years. I just don't think that's one of those things they would really like to throw on their plate in addition to manufacturing the PlayStation 4 and those cameras and those controllers and everything else going on with that stuff. Let's see. Uh, Fetter Dave asks, Upon seeing that Double Fine is doing DLC for the PS4 Playroom, which is Sony's uh, bundled-in camera software. It's a free, free program, right? Yep. Uh, how is Microsoft not throwing tons of money at devs to make content for Connect 2.0? They haven't done much to argue for using it. Is that, is that is that uh, is that your feeling as well? Alex? Yeah, because I mean, other than Fantasia, what other Connect-oriented games have you really seen like heavily promoted for the Xbox One? It's like. You know, originally Rise was supposed to be an original Connect thing, and then they bumped it up to you know Xbox One, and in in the process of that, turned it into more of a quick timey thing than a than a than a Connect oriented thing. Um, I, I'm sitting here like I'm running down the the my my I'm thinking of like the launch games, and it's like there's maybe some Connect functionality in some of that stuff, but there's nothing that's really like super focused on that. It feels like the Connect the conversation is just a little bit dead. Like, just nobody seems that interested in it. Nobody seems that excited about it. I haven't heard anyone walk up to me and say, yeah, no, I've got this really exciting Connect thing I want to show you in, in mm. ages. And I think that's because other than, you know, the, the Harmonix people who have sort of embraced that, that motion gaming stuff for their, their various rhythmic purposes, no one else really seems to have any noteworthy ideas as to what to do with that thing. And, you know, the ideas that have been coming out, especially since... Uh, you know the the last run of Kinect games for for the Xbox 360 haven't been very good. You know I can name maybe like four Kinect games that were kind of good, and the rest that were all like ranging from yeah it's all right to man I, this is just fucking broken. Uh, someone is saying Fighters Within is also a, a, a what is it a, a Kinect game? But that's that's fine. I, I know next to nothing about that game to be honest with you. So I'll be I think it's a, I think it's a, a Ubisoft thing. It is. Um, but I you know I I, I can say that at one point. Uh, Microsoft was making a pretty big uh, financial investments and bets in uh, expanding the types of games you normally would see on Kinect with the Kinect 2.0, if, if that's what we're calling it, uh, games that were going to come out for the Xbox One. Uh, and then uh, earlier this year, uh, they did a substantial culling of uh, the games that they were partnering with to make, and uh, not a significant amount of them were, were Kinect projects. Uh, as they sort of made a decision to sort of a little more laser focus on what the expectation should be for the kinds of games that are made for that and whether it made a whole lot of sense to actually be making more you know, re- quote-unquote real games or what our understanding is and expectations are for those types of games uh, and instead to maybe just focus on what's worked, uh, you know, Connect Sports and, and, you know, maybe we'll get a, you know, Just Dance or, or something along those lines because it doesn't appear that it's super surprised that Harmonix is not making a another Dance Central, but that you know that they may will have more, eventually. That may that may have more to do with you know 
with Microsoft, and that may have to do with Harmonix's desire to to make another one. Um, they're they're going to yeah, make another be... one at some point. I think they just yeah. didn't want to try and like rush something together for a system launch for this one. I think they wanted to take a quick break, which I think is totally admirable, considering they did three in three years. So you know. Uh, all right. So a lot of people are asking about this. We're not going to get into it. Yeah, uh, a whole lot here. Uh, because I've not had enough of a chance to uh, take a look at it uh, and sort of uh, formulate my thoughts on it. But obviously there has been some conversation about some comments from uh, Penny Arcade co-founder Mike Kulik, uh, specifically in regards to the Dick Wolves controversy that has continued to uh, surround that group. Um, The little I've seen of it, I will characterize uh, my response as disappointing. Uh, but anything beyond that, uh, I would yeah. have to to do some more research on that uh, and not be uh, too reactionary about it. But yeah. a lot of people are asking. People are talking about it on Twitter this morning. I have in the past expressed my disappointment at, at how Krahulik has handled himself under criticism, uh, and I don't – I you know, things like this don't make me feel any better about it. Yeah, I mean, the problem with this is that it's all anecdotal. There's no, like, he didn't make a public comment. This is someone saying they overheard him at PAX talking about it, which... Oh, no, this, this, isn't, a, this isn't a Twitch stream during their public Oh, was it in a Twitch stream? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. all so, right. So there, there is something that I, I need to look at uh, to right. get a better sense of well, in that what case, that is. you know, that is a more public comment, and that is something worth looking into, I suppose. I mean, for me, it's just like, I've already decided that guy and I don't see eye to eye on much of anything, so, you know, I stop following him. I don't really pay any attention to what he has to say or do anymore. Because if I do, it's just going to make me kind of upset and unhappy. It sounds like so. I'm just I've I've kind of excised his perspective from my view, my view these days, and I think I'm just going to kind of keep that up. Yeah. Um. Let's see what else we got. Uh. Did you read anything about this Microsoft Nokia stuff? I don't know. I looked at it a little bit last night as I was going to bed. Um, okay. I don't know. What it, I guess the the sense that it was maybe this gives us an idea. I guess they're. They're buying their home mobile unit, right? Yeah, so like they're bas- they're buying their entire devices unit. Uh, they're they're basically buying the whole section of the company that makes the uh, the phones and and what have you. And then it sounds like they are licensing their patents and uh, some of their other stuff. Uh, and it, it I, like it basically sounds like they are going to just you know Nokia is now the the Windows phone manu- like they, the, all that manufacturing and, and devices stuff now is is under the Microsoft purview that that is the, all I was able really to get from that last night and and I guess then the little bit of chatter I saw from some of the tech people that I follow was that uh, this may give us a better sense of who the uh, the CEO is going to be but uh, yeah we are. We barely are any good at covering video games as opposed yeah. to reading too much into tech acquisitions. <laughs> what that is going to mean. Yeah, I, it's, I was, Stephen Elop, if I am pronouncing that correctly, I guess, uh, is, is the guy that is being pegged as potentially the new CEO uh, to, to follow Balmer as a result of uh, this news. Um, uh, I don't know. Not seeing, not seeing too much else. Some people are are asking. Uh, I, you know, I mentioned at at PAX and while well, on Twitter and stuff that uh, I'm giving a TEDx talk uh, in October. Yeah, I, what's that all about? What do you, what do you, what do you, what did you pitch for that? Yeah. So, uh, well, the story is that you know, uh, I think it's a was a fan of the site uh, is helping organize a TEDx uh, conference in October, uh, October nineteenth. At Dearborn, which I believe is a university, and so TEDx is separate than TED, right? Like, so TED is like the main TED conferences where, like, you know, J.J. Abrams and people like that go to give like these really these really big talks, where he gave like the famous like mystery box uh, talk, uh, and then there is TEDx, which are these individual more uh, group conferences that can take place in universities or in cities, and the scale of them can range all over the place. Uh, these can be ones that are, you know, like broadcast on live streams, and I, I don't have a good sense of, of what this one is. Um, I can give people more details when I know more about that myself. Um, this could just be a bunch of people in a garage, uh, right. for all I know. But uh, someone reached out to me and asked me to pitch and said, you know, we can't guarantee you'll get picked uh, because the guy who reached out is not the guy who picks that, but he... But he gave me the the link to to, to pitch, and I thought, why you know, it's, why the hell not? I've never done anything like this before. I've been on panels. 
I've written stories. Uh, I've I've never really given sort of a, a presentation of, of something that I've come up with. So I thought the exercise of even just trying to break one down in my head uh, would be uh, fascinating in and of itself. Uh, but then I also was just really a confident that it wasn't going to get picked, so I would never have to go to the next step of actually writing it and then having to worry about having to give it. Is it funny um, how that works out? You assume that it's just it's just a dumb shot in the dark and it's not going to happen and then suddenly oh hey no yeah you're in you're committed to this so now you have to do it yeah yeah so that, that sort of bummed me out and got me really excited at the same time uh but so the, the, what i pitched them <laughs> but what i pitched them was uh so after sort of phil fish canceled canceled fez 2 and uh there were the, I, I wrote a story about what it's like to be a public figure, sort of the tensions between being a public figure and people that sort of consume the work that you create. Uh, and I extrapolated that into a much larger argument of the fact that, by and large, we are all public figures in some capacity. There are some of us that take our Facebook and our Twitter privacy controls very seriously, but by and large, most of us just let our all of our stuff kind of float out into the ether, and the transaction there is that we get enough back from being uh, sort of public figures and selling our public currency. Uh, but then when stuff like that goes wrong, uh, you know, when w- what does that mean? And I feel like as someone that has done that uh, sort of on a daily basis for the last couple of years and have certainly been in the middle of some firestorms, that there are some maybe some lessons for me to pass on uh, from that that are applicable to, to, to a wider variety of people because I think if you are on the Internet – if you are on Twitter, even if you're only a guy with a couple followers, it's not that difficult to be caught in the middle of something really crazy. And then what do you do when your private life has suddenly become very public? Um, and so I don't know exactly what that will turn into, but that's sort of the general thing that I pitched them and, and that I'm going to turn that into some sort of talk. And then I'll just pay people to be in the audience and clap for me and I like pretend it. I am profound. No, I like it. I think that's I think that's a cool idea. I mean, that's one of those things that has always kind of been a weird struggle for me. And you know, any sort of perspective on like that that Phil Fish piece to me was was super interesting because it was sort of an interesting examination of the you know the kind of weird, not so much politics, but the kind of the the, the interactions and the sort of you know the 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 way people can be when they are presented with a personality who they don't necessarily view as a person so much, and the way that they feel like they can talk to people like that. Uh, it's a, it's the thing that has always kind of driven me crazy and has, has kept me from feeling completely at home and comfortable, you know, doing work on the internet and stuff. And I, I, I'm very curious to see what you come up with this. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to you seeing your TED talk. That will be the first TED talk I ever watch. Straight up. <laughs> also, I can hear your phone ringing. My phone. Oh. Well, I just let it go. I, I just, just let it go. Just moved it away. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so for for me, it's. It's it's this is not a talk about Phil Fish. I, right, at sure. Most at most it will be a footnote to explain uh, how I kind of got off on this tangent. But it, yeah, you're right. It is about that. Also, that tension between people uh, not necessarily recognizing uh, people that they talk about or or yell things at as actual people. Um, and so I don't know. So I'm still kind of figuring out what my sort of thesis statement is there. Uh, but uh, yeah, that'll be on October 19th. I think people can buy tickets. I don't know, uh, but I will. I will let people know uh, more information uh, as as I know it. Um, but uh, I think with that, uh, do you have uh, anything going on this week? Like, what are what are you? You got Rayman Legends. Yeah, I'm, right? I'm playing through Rayman Legends mostly on the the Vita, but I got the Wii U version as well. That game is awesome. Uh, yeah, you you spent your flight playing that, right? Yeah, I spent most of my flight. I, I straight up drained the battery entirely on my Vita playing that on the plane. So uh, that game is real, real good. Uh, I will have a review of that. If not today, then probably tomorrow. Uh, but my immediate uh, you know reaction to that game is go buy it, go buy it, go buy it, go buy it, go buy it. Uh, okay. I will finally get around to doing that Bombasca video I said I was going to do last week uh, for Virtual Pro Wrestling 2 this week. I wanted to do that. Uh, I'm going to go see some Warner Brothers games on Wednesday. Uh, Batman will be there as well as uh, that DC Scribblenauts game and, I don't know, something else that I can't remember offhand. Uh, and then I'm getting a cavity filled. Oh, awesome. Are you going to live stream it? Uh, no, my dentist is kind of weird about that. I asked, but he wasn't <laughs> He wasn't really feeling that idea, so sorry. 
Sorry. Ah, uh, damn it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'm gonna get some uh, new ones uh, soon. Don't worry. Okay. Good. Uh, so I'll I'll have a uh, series of interviews going going up uh, throughout the week. Oh, there goes your phone again. I got it. You should just answer that phone no, call. No, I'm not answering this phone call yet. <laughs> I'm not doing that. It's Phil Fish calling. Um, and yeah, so I'll be putting a bunch of interviews throughout the week. I've got like I think like six or seven that that I conducted that didn't have a chance to to edit and put up on the on the site. So those will go up throughout the week. I'll have spooking with scoops uh, at some point. Um, and then yeah, right. I think Vinny is out of the office. Uh, I'm sure they will record a a podcast today. Uh, and I, I'm sure there'll be an unprofessional Fridays, but outside of that, uh, it might be sort of a slow week. Um, but uh, there are certainly plenty of games coming out, uh, so look forward to to some of that. Um, but yeah, games. Cool. Well, I'm glad stuff. you woke up. Yeah, no, I'm glad I'm I woke up too. You. That was good. That that needed to happen for a show to happen. You know, it did. It did. All right. Well, you go do your thing. You go play Rayman. I'm while the rest it. of us wish we were playing Rayman. Uh, and uh, <coughs> eh, I will talk to you on Friday. I'll see you then, man. All right, bye.